Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to defense, discuss the offense versus the Pittsburgh Steelers in that uh, 16 to 13 loss on Sunday night. And uh, before we continue with that, we need to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Uh, they have some nice flavors, including a seltzer lime that I would recommend. Please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Uh, joining me to discuss the offense today is James Ogden, one of our favorites on this show. James, how are you doing? I'm good, Ken. How are you? Uh, I am good. Uh, obviously, we've all been a little bit shaken the last uh, day or so in terms of what's happened. We're recording this now uh, Tuesday in the afternoon. Uh, James, as you could probably guess, is somewhere in the UK. 
and uh, uh, we, we uh, you know, are less than 24 hours after the Demar Hamlin tragedy. Uh, don't really have any more information on his medical situation as we record right now. We did have heard the NFL will not resume that game this week, which is completely understandable in terms of the, you know, the need for grief counseling probably on that team uh, and, and whatever else. I can't imagine there's anybody on either team really have a mind to play football right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if that extended further in the NFL. All right. So anyway, let's uh, uh, let's just uh, send our prayers out to Demar Hamlin. I, I would, uh, you know, encourage people to 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 talk respect respectfully on Twitter when you're when you're talking about the situation. It's a tragedy of of significant proportions as we judge them in in the United States here, and and really don't want to. Um, uh, you know, speculate or or uh, talk about you know what are the repercussions of this in other sporting terms. That's that's just not appropriate in my opinion at this time. So, uh, our best wishes to Demar Hamlin and his family, and uh, hope he has a full and uh, speedy recovery. Now let's get back to the Ravens and talk about them a little bit, James. The, the Lamar Jackson injury, of course, still kind of looming over this team. The sprained PCL has has left them in quarterback purgatory right now. Uh, Campbell and Peters also missed this game. Uh, Campbell in particular very significantly missed. Peters probably also missed as well, would be fair, although I thought that Brandon Stevens played pretty well. Yeah, I was with you on the defense. I think on the defensive side, I just should also say my my thoughts and prayers also with, with the, Mar- the Mohammeds family um, at this time. I think, um, yeah, so I, I certainly think uh, Peters was a was a miss, but I agree with you. I thought Brandon Stevens was fine. Um, Calais Campbell was a huge miss. Um, you, you only need to watch the first game between these two teams to understand how much of a miss Calais Campbell was going to be. He was a, he was quite dominant in that game against the run, and he was a big reason why the, the Steelers had a. Uh, a, you know, a less than stellar day running the football the last time these two met. So it was no surprise to me really that he was, you know, that they they were able to run the ball a little bit, so a little bit, a lot better on the Ravens defense this 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 time around. Yeah, it it was not just Campbell's um, absence that that got to that. And we want to talk about the about all the reasons kind of for that in a separate section we have coming up here, but, but uh, there was a lot missing, but Campbell was a big miss. Rayshard Nichols uh, did not have nearly as many snaps as Campbell would have, although he played pretty well in the game. Campbell is just, you know, arguably the Ravens best defensive player um, or very close to it anyway with Roquan and Marcus Williams. And yeah, it's just, he's, he is an absolute standout player and leader on that line, a big snap eater, even at, at his age, and uh, a really unfortunate uh, situation not to have him for this game. But we're talking about the offense for right now, and and one of the things that really was bothersome in it was how the Steelers, from the very first snap of the game, lined up in a jumbo formation, four down linemen, two outside linebackers flanking them, and two inside linebackers, only three defensive backs to start the game. That is a formation typically reserved for goal line situations, occasional fourth and one situations, but is almost never otherwise used. And to have the that be not only a formation they started the game with, but a formation they, they stayed with for much of the game uh, was very frustrating. Yeah, and it had it had so many consequences for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were just 
an inordinate amount of things that it allowed the Steelers to do. And, and it really was built on the precedence that on the, on the um, sort of understanding that Tyler Huntley has, has not been, I actually don't think he's been as effective this season as he was last season. Um, and I think there have been time, obviously with the, with the lack of weapons that he has, they just, they just decided there was, no, there was really no threat from an intermediate or downfield passing game. And so that they, they could play this Um this front and and it really had like I said it had a number of ramifications. I know we're going to talk we're going to talk about like Tyler Linderbaum. I think it's um, one of the things it really did was it freed up their edge guys because Watts and Highsmith were not one of the four down linemen. They were one of the the uh, the two guys on the on the ends, and it just allowed TJ Watt and to to an extent uh, Highsmith just free reign to just go and just attack from the from the backside um, and take angles that normally you wouldn't see as a, as a guy like Pat Ricard kicking out an end, you wouldn't normally see the kind of angle that TJ Watt took, but he could just do that because they had so much, he had so much inside him and behind him. He wasn't setting the edge. So he could really hit hard on those, on those from the backside. And there were a ton of other things as well that, that, yeah. that it really allowed them to do. You know, if you, if you really look at, um, there's two sides to this. The, fir- the first is how the Steelers were able to effectively run the ball. The defensive article is out there right now. I'd encourage people, I'll plug it right now, to go to the article and look at the blocks that really set that up. It's a whole bunch of different things on the Steelers offensively. They did. They ran pony very effectively. They ran outside very effectively with jet motion. They won their blocks inside consistently, and they got the Ravens tired. They kept the Ravens from changing in personnel when it was time to do that on a key third and one play and made them play with only two down linemen against a quarterback sneak. You're going to win that play 95% of the time, probably 90% of the time, I'll say. Um, but you know, it was, it was a whole host of things. It wasn't any one player really falling apart. And I think the important thing to remember here is it really wasn't any one thing for the Ravens either. You mentioned the Watt outside. I think, you know, this was a game where Tyler Linderbaum got isolated by the fact that the the Steelers had four guys up front. And centers normally are part of a a two-man block to start any run play. And and they, you know, oftentimes what Linderbaum's either tasked with is usually being the guy who moves up to level two as part of a two-man block. But even if he's not, he's left behind on level one after getting help to knock a player slightly off his pins at level one. Complete change of situation when you have four guys up front and Linderbaum has to take a significant number of even-up blocks, of one-on-one blocks. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into Linderbaum a little bit. Maybe it's worth, worth talking about him just a little bit here. I I, I think this was a this was a perfect example of a game where I, for, the, for for the podcast I dug out my um, my scouting report on Linderbaum uh, for the draft guide I, I did last year, and one of the uh, one of the things I do in the draft guide um, is is you know when you evaluate players coming out of college, really you can't. You, know, you look at all of these kind of um, generic player evaluations from from analysts across the across the space, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily as as effective as it can be because they're not evaluating players for particular schemes. And different players have different fits in different schemes, and will be will be different players in the league once they if they get into a different into a certain scheme. And um, one of the things I I wanted to do was with the draft guide was to evaluate players with the Ravens scheme in mind. And so I had a little box called Ravens fit and my, my, my box for Linda Baum said, if you like players getting into their best position to succeed, you should be rooting for some other team to take Linda Baum. 
I kind of then went on to say the Ravens would find a way to use his movement skills in the run game, but he doesn't move people consistently at the point of attack like you would like out of a gap scheme center. With Bozeman leaving, the Ravens would fill that void well, but the Ravens might not want to spend premium draft capital on a guy who doesn't quite fit their scheme. Now, I wrote that when he was... Very well um, said. <laughs> I wrote Very that well when said. he was when he was supposed to be drafted sort of uh, with the Ravens' original pick, and I thought that was far too rich um, mm-hmm. at that point. I was I was okay with it where they did, where they ended up taking him, and I think we've started to see in the last few weeks the, the ways in which the Ravens can use him really creatively and he can have solid games. This was not that game. This was a game that showed you why the, why the Ravens should have been leery of, of drafting him because he did get isolated, as you said. He, he isn't yet, and wasn't hugely effective in college actually as a down blocker um it's not necessarily a strength thing he just doesn't fit the block particularly well and so when the ravens what really happened in this game that really isolated Lindebaum, i thought was when you watch the steelers defense for those for that first game before that first game i think what i what i felt was that a way to attack them was definitely by using a, few, a bit more zone blocking they did do that in the first game. They struggled. Morgan Moses couldn't get the backside blocked. There were there were issues, but they did some of it successfully. In mm-hmm. this game, they could not do that. There was no chance of of um, of movement to the second level because of the way the Steelers were were having that front. So they had to keep running gap really heavy as the game went on. They got more and more gap heavy, and that means you're asking Tyler Lind- Lindebaum doesn't pull, so you're asking him to do things that he he just it, it, it's not his. It's not the best thing for his game by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's an interesting comment on the Linderbaum does a pull. Linderbaum actually pulls a lot in the counter system that the Ravens have. Sorry, but, I, but, but sorry, it, against I, this front, he can't that's, pull. And I think that's yeah, that's point. what I meant. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so it, and again, that's that's a, um, a a system that the Steelers really understood what they were going to get from the Ravens, and they adapted extraordinarily well. I think for this game defensively, and basically, you know, we go back to Huntley. It is all Huntley based. They said, I dare you to throw the football. Yeah. And in truth, the Ravens play action game should have feasted on it if they had one. So, but but Huntley, I you know, he doesn't have good pocket awareness to start with. They they scheme the ball out quickly, which is appropriate against, you know, two edges that are going to be largely free in this situation. Um, and and you know, it's just not a good opportunity to try and reacquire the field against you know a, a couple of pass rushers that Pittsburgh can present on the edge here. Um, but, you know, this is a game, obviously, where Mark Andrews suddenly became Mark Andrews again. Caught nine balls, you know, on nine targets. And, and uh, you know, some of that, obviously, is Huntley having a pretty good, efficient game and throwing the ball to Andrews. A lot of it is Andrews getting open against a Steeler secondary, which really wasn't set up to, to defend him. And yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Ken. No, I was going to say, I completely agree. I think that 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 was because they, they there was there was a decent amount of man coverage on on Mark Andrews, but out of necessity from that from that Steelers backfield, and he was beating them. He but he was the only guy beating them, and it was almost um, like Huntley had no option other than to throw into some tight windows, and he actually throwed it thrown into threw into some um, not tight windows but tight coverage. But he actually threw into tight coverage pretty well actually in this game, um, to Andrews specifically. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it seemed like it was, it was the only real option that on the watching it back, it just looks like the only real option Huntley had on several occasions was to, to try and get it to a a reasonably tightly covered Andrews and ask him to, to make a play, which he did on several occasions in this game. 
Yeah, we, we'll we'll need to come back with a, a deeper dive on Huntley and his game because there certainly were some positives. I don't want to pretend like it was all a negative game. There's some efficiency here we hadn't seen the last couple of weeks, but uh, but there's also some 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 problems that that showed up again. And unfortunately, the Steelers scheme just was was very effective. Uh, you know, one thing that's been criticized about the Ravens' choices was using Edwards for only nine snaps, three carries, and two yards. Now, Harbaugh himself came out the next day and said, Gus should have played more. I do kind of have a problem. I don't have a problem with Harbaugh coming out and bashing bashing Roman over it. You know, frankly, you know, we're at a point where, where I don't think it's likely that Roman will be back next year. Where are you on that, by the way? Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, okay. I'm, I, I've never been a um, particular Roman sort of destroyer. I, I think he, you know, has has created a, a pretty good, you know, at times a very good um, offense for this Ravens for this Ravens team. I think what has increasingly become apparent to me over the last couple of years watching this offense is that the offense, which was initially created to get the best out of Lamar Jackson, I think has increasingly started to limit Lamar Jackson as Lamar Jackson has grown as a, as a QB. Um, and I think the Raven, it, it behooves the Ravens to try something different to see if they can get more and more out of, out of Lamar Jackson, if, if he stays around. So to me, it probably, it, I think it probably is the end for Greg Roman. Um, so yeah, I'm not surprised. And, and, and this sort of called back a little bit for me to the comments he made about um, Wink Martindale towards the end of last season. And it seems like he's sort of setting up a little bit, maybe a, an exit there. Mm-hmm. I, I think I can see three reasons why they would do it. And the first is that, I don't think Harbaugh wants to invest the political capital in backing Greg Roman. And frankly, if he decided, no way, I'm it's it's this hill I die on with Greg Roman, well, they're going to fight that battle to the death for both of them next year if if Bishotti lets him do it. And I think Bishotti probably would. He'd, he'd probably say, you know, it's your staff to hire, but if this doesn't work out, it's both of you next year kind of thing. Yeah. Um, number two is is that I agree with you about some of the things that – have been you brought up in terms of limiting Lamar Jackson. I think also there's a case of um, the league has seen now a lot of this offense. And while it was a fantastic offense in 2019, I don't completely believe that, you know, oh, we figured out Lamar Jackson now, a, a kind of thing. The, the Ravens have done it a little bit differently. They've done it in a little bit of a layered way with Roman, but I think they are starting to run out of kind of new material to bring to this offense. I think we started to see that this year. And so I think for that reason, I think, I think um, he'll be gone, but I'll give you maybe the third reason that nobody's talking about yet, right? At least I don't hear talking about yet. If you want to retain Lamar Jackson, isn't one potential way to do that to say, Hey, look, Lamar, we want to sign a new contract, but more importantly, we want you to talk to the new offensive coordinator as part of the interview process. And we would not normally include you in this process, but you're a franchise quarterback now. You're the guy we want to you have win, and you got to be happy with this guy. So you know, get get involved, be part of the process, try and understand what what he's going to offer you up in terms of an offensive philosophy before we hire him. And if you can work with the guy, and if that's the case, then then uh, you know maybe they get a little bit more buy-in from Lamar on that and a buy-in from Lamar on the contract. Yeah, I think that's really astute, Ken. I, I, I think from from everything you sort of see as a, an amateur of uh, a sort of observer of Lamar, 
in terms of who he is. It just seems like trust is very important to him. And, you know, by getting him involved in, in an interview process, you, you, you get, you automatically get a little more trust from him from the outset because he's, he's sort of, as you say, he's a bit more bought in. So I, I think that's absolutely right and true. And I think, I think that's probably part of it. If, if you're, if you're Bashadi and you have a tremendous amount of experience in hiring, cause he made a lot of his money by, by exactly that. Um, by the way, if you have not ever gotten a chance to see this, and if folks out there may may know this, they sent a um, when Harbaugh was hired, they sent about an eight or twelve page description in a, an off season guide of how they went through the hiring process with with Harbaugh. It's an absolutely marvelous management text on how to go about a hire. It's it's short, it's it's pithy in terms of what they did, but it's, but it explains a lot about their process, and it's just great. My question to you, uh, though, James, is in terms of the, the the process, what power would you give Lamar Jackson in it? Would he have veto power over certain choices or at least the ability to maybe appeal to the owner to veto the choice? Yeah, I think I'm not sure about appealing to the owner. I feel like everything I see from from Bashadi and and I would agree with, I think, is that mm-hmm. he he lets the football people make you know make the decisions. He gets involved when necessary, but I think he the the kind of the when I've heard him speak before, I think sort of giving autonomy to people is important to him. Uh, for hiring good people and giving them the the space to be able to do their job is right. So I'm not sure um, sort of a direct line to the owner to change the, the view of John Harbour, but I, I feel I should be ju- post. I would have, if I was Harbour, I'd, I'd be joined at the hip with Jackson in the interview process. Yes. He would be a part of the brain trust that makes the decision, but he would be part of the brain trust. Ultimately, Harbour is the one who has to hire this guy and has to work with him. So it's his, it's his decision. I would certainly give as part of that process, I would give him some veto power, uh, you know, because ultimately as part of a committee, if he's saying this guy, no way, no way yeah. um, then, then, then you, you, you have to listen to that, I think. But I think you bring him in as part of the process and you have him almost on the, you know, if, if this was a normal interview, you have him on the panel, you, know, you have him on the hiring panel, mm-hmm. I think. I think I think that's uh, that's the way to go about it, and I hope I hope the Ravens will will use that. I think that the the method is sound. You know, we Flacco went through a bunch of offensive coordinators, and I don't think he liked them all. He certainly had things to say about Cam Cameron by the end of their relationship that were not particularly positive. Even though Flacco was a guy who, who basically kept things to himself, uh, I have I have something. It's a few years gone now. Flacco is gone from the organization, so I feel I, I feel like I can make this comment now. I, I met Joe Flacco at an off-season suite holder event. Now I don't own a a, a, a PS a suite in the stadium, but my company does, and they got me tickets to this event, and it was wonderful. And Joe Flacco showed up prior to the 2010 season, and the Ravens had just gone through. Yep, that's no. It might have been 2008, prior to the 2009 season. So Joe Flacco just had his rookie year, so it was very exciting to have him at 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 this event. And the guy who just had a big year was Jared Gaither. The entire offensive line had a big year, by the way. Willie Anderson was good. The the inside guys uh, were, were terrific, and they were just about to make a trade to get rid of Jason Brown, left for free agency, and bring in via free agency Matt Burke, which made the line even that much better. And so I got a chance that to talk to Joe for a little while because that's part of the fun of this is you're milling around with drinks with, with these guys. And I feel like I was sitting over not talking to anyone for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, and so I got to go over and ask him the question is, you know, how do you feel about this offensive line? And he went through each player and he had something to say, which was really cool. 
And then you get to Jared Gaither, which is the last one he said, and hopefully Jared will be more into it. You know, and, and immediately my response to that is, wow, you know, he had a really good year in 2008, uh, you know, and, and Joe immediately wanted to retract the comment. It was the kind of thing he knew he said something, but you know, you, you, you can always say something regrettable at an event like that. And of course, the, 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 the comment turned about to be kind of prophetic with regard to Gaither's career and how he basically threw it all away for nothing <laughs> himself. But it was, it was just interesting that, that he would do that. I didn't tell anybody that story for a long time because I didn't want to say anything while Flacco was in the organization. But, uh, but it was, it was, it was kind of neat cool. to hear him say that. That's really cool. Uh, come back to Edwards, though, for a second. That's who we were really talking about, was that um, I didn't think that this was an ideal game for Edwards. Edwards is a power runner between the tackles, and we've seen some good off-tackle slipperiness from him when things are doing well. This wasn't a game where even that gap you know, uh, is really available to the Ravens. Most of what was really effective was Dobbins bouncing to the outside and getting big runs. Um, so I understand why. Uh, Roma did not want Edwards in this game as much. Uh, does that kind of make sense to you? And, and obviously the results weren't good in the, in the few carries he had, but then we come back to Harbaugh's comment. Is it appropriate for him to say that under the circumstances that, that Roman had to work with? Yeah, I think, I think like you've said, I think there were a few reasons for him saying, yeah, I, th- I think definitely political capital to defend Roman is, is a reason to do that. Like, let's not, at this point, let's open up a little bit of sort of, hang on, like this wasn't my fault type thing. Um, so I, I kind of get that. Uh, I... <laughs> I also th- I also wonder whether it's not all aimed at Roman. Um, you know, th- we don't know who decides who rotates in and out of that of that committee. Um, so it might have been aimed at other coaches too. I think for me, I think you're right. I think this was a game more for Dobbins, but I think one of the things that did start to um one of the reasons Dobbins has been so good over the last few games and frankly throughout his career, but I think he started to get the scheme a bit more. And I think what's happened is he's starting to understand his second level vision. So when you, when you see a running back gets the line of scrimmage, the very best running backs aren't just thinking about their steps in front of them at the line of scrimmage. They're thinking six, seven steps ahead into the second level. How, how can they set up blockers? How can they take a path that's going to, get the the most yardage out of this play and Dobbins is really good at seeing the second level the the challenge in this game was there wasn't a lot of traffic in the second level Mm -hmm. um so perhaps there was something there was something that Edwards could have unlocked a little bit by getting through that through the point of attack having said that it's very it's very you know this is very sort of limited, and I, I don't think that's necessarily there. I think the other thing I saw from Dobbins in this game was the ability to take stuff that I don't think Edwards would have taken mm-hmm. because of Dobbins' explosiveness. Uh, so I do think there was there was a there was a real case to keep Dobbins in the game an awful lot, and I, I kind of don't hate the fact that Edwards wasn't used a lot, but I guess I, I, there was maybe something there for for Harbaugh. There were definitely a couple of plays where Dobbins made something out of nothing in this game, no doubt about it, in terms of it turned a loss into a game that yeah. were that were very impressive. Uh I go back to the 2008 finale. I don't know if you've if if you if that's in your lexicon as a fan or if it's too far before your time, but it, 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 you saw it. 2008 yeah, finale yeah. At, at Dallas, yeah. where they had the two long touchdown runs to close out the stadium, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, in each of those cases, it was a kind of a similar situation where the Dallas had loaded up the box to try and stop the the Ravens one-two punch that were both in the game at that point of Laura McLean and Willis McGahee. And 
in both cases, the, the point of attack got pierced. A tackle was missed in level two, and then the player went all the way. And it was kind of nice to uh, uh, see that happen um, uh, in, in those games. And, and that's what I was hoping we might see from somebody, either Edwards, Dobbins, or, or Hill in this game. But the fact of the matter is, they did not make as much of their level two opportunities as they needed to. Um, right now, Dobbins just does not run well enough. He's, he's cutting very well, but he's not running well enough to really make the most out of his level two opportunities. He's leaving a ton of yards on the field. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think he's. I think I think for me, he is he is making. Um, so the football outsiders make uh, the distinction between second level and open field. Yep. And I think he's making a lot of second level yard yardage. I don't think he's making the best of his open field y- yardage at this point because he, like you say, he just he doesn't have that top gear yet. And you can see him. Even there was even a run a couple of weeks ago where he looked a bit gimpy t- towards the end of the run as he yep. was going out of bounds. So he's definitely once he gets into the open field and. And there's no longer a block to take advantage of to get to get you know to get some more yardage. He's not quite getting everything that you'd want. But that that for me that second level vision where he's getting through linebackers and defensive backs coming downhill, uh, that that really is very effective at the moment. It's just once he's getting out there, there's there's nothing there's not there's not nothing there's not as much as you would get from a, a fully healthy Dobbins. Yeah, completely agree, and and I agree with the level the level one, level two, level three yards kind of distinction is exactly the right way to say it, that he's done a very good job uh, making people making people miss and picking the right gap at the line of scrimmage. Maybe making people miss is the better better term in level two or not going down to first contact in some cases. And then in level three, it just can't seem to outrun the safety. I just can't seem to do it. So uh, he's losing some yards there. But even so, I mean, even in this kind of a ramshackle mode that he's, he's in right now, that, you know, playing a little bit hurt, a little banged up, hopefully not, you know, playing at what his top speed will be in 23, um, you know, he's still looking pretty good in terms of, of, of certainly performing well in terms of yards per carry. And I think the other thing with Dobbins is the, um, that, that is effective in this game would have been effective in this game to an extent is his ability. So his explosiveness and his cutting ability is really key when he's pressing his keys at the line of scrimmage, he's getting to a point where I, I think he's, he's becoming mu- much more effective at that. Where he's getting very close to the puller, uh, he's he's cutting off that really effectively, and I think that's that's something that is poss- 
possibly would have helped in this game with the way that Spillane and Robinson were playing. They were playing very, very effectively behind that six-man front. Um, and so the ability to um, to get them going in the wrong direction um, because of the way he presses his keys and then the way he's able to explode off that um, was probably another reason why they stuck with him in a, in a, a bit heavier. In this yeah, game. G- great point. And, and by the way, the use of Spillane and Robinson, that is too... Slightly heavier inside linebackers, but they have Miles Jack and Devin Bush didn't play all that much in this game. They played some, but but those guys were on the sideline for much of the game. And it, it's interesting that the Ravens would, I mean, sorry, that the Steelers would do that. It's a that's a big um I, I, how to how to call this a, a, a cataclysmic almost adjustment of some of your top linebackers to basically sit them because of size concerns uh against a team like the Ravens. Yeah, they've they've had trouble with Jack and um, and Bosch. You know, it, it's it's a it's a disappointment for them because of the investment that they've put in both of those linebackers. But you know, Mark Robinson looked very good this this week, and and they'll obviously have more difficulty against teams that are able to throw in behind them. But yeah, I th- I felt like they they did a really good job um, with the way they played this this game. There were a couple of times when Greg Roman dialed up some really really. You know, we there's lots of criticism of Roman and rightly so, but there were a couple of times when he dialed up some pass plays that were very well designed play action to get something in behind those two linebackers, uh, and Huntley just couldn't quite execute it. Yeah, uh, Devin Bush five snaps and Miles Jack six in this game. Yep, that's uh, that is a shockingly low total for a first and second round pick of the not too distant past. Uh, there, the Bush, the the Steelers did not put, pick up Bush's fifth year option for next year, so uh, he'll be uh, he'll be out of town soon enough. Uh, see, I guess you know we're talking about what will happen the rest of the season. Obviously, there's things still up in the air that we don't need to we don't need to get into too much about the possibility of Cincinnati and Buffalo playing, but um, the Ravens will not clinch certainly a division title this weekend. Uh, it appears they will be playing on the road no matter what uh, come the first round of the playoffs, though it's not I, – I, I don't know that that's been determined yet. The NFL will have to determine if they're going to finish that game. Uh, and the Ravens probably would have to win on Sunday to make it necessary uh, for, for, for that to be a, a really a consideration. Uh, or, or, yeah, the Ravens have to win on Sunday for, to, for it to be a possibility. So, anyway, it looks like the Ravens are going to be playing on the road as a uh, – as a wild card team, very likely they end up in Cincinnati um, playing that game. How should the Ravens treat Week 18 and a possible playoff matchup with the with Cincinnati? How how would you approach it from a standpoint of resting your regulars based on what you know right now? I I honestly I would rest them at this point. I I know it's a strange thing to do, and it's not it's not something that Harbaugh has has been prone to do in the past. But I don't I don't see any benefit really to play. I, I, I cannot see how this team possibly with Lamar Jackson back in the lineup, maybe they have a chance of beating Cincinnati in Cincinnati this weekend. Um, but with, without him, or if he's not quite still not quite a hundred percent, I don't see how they win this game against this a Cincinnati team who in the last few weeks I've watched have been, have been very, very good. And then they still might have a second bite at the chariot winning the, the, winning the division i'm i'm i i this point there's the, the other issue is 
they are, they seem locked into the sixth seed because the Chargers are going on the road, uh, going against the Broncos. So right. I, I can't see how you would then improve yourself into the five seed either. So for me, it just feels like a, a bit of a no brainer to rest. But I don't know. The NFL is a funny, funny league, and and anything can happen. So maybe that would be a little a little naive of me. I don't know. Possibly, possibly they don't rest the starters and, and and still play Huntley and and still get out of Cincinnati with a win, but it seems very unlikely to me. I think I think there's some good opportunities to try different things here. And one of them, since we're talking offense, would be the possibility of playing Anthony Brown in week 18. And I, I, I'll give you this the scenario under which it could happen is number one, you're gonna say, well, Huntley has had some already some concussion scares this year. And we don't want to play him. And if he's if that if if Tyler Huntley is all we've got going into the playoffs, then we'll give it our best shot, you know, and and, and we're going to try and win. But it would be even worse if Tyler Huntley were hurt. But you're also thinking to yourself, on the other hand, you know what we'd really like? We'd really like someone who can execute a few play action concepts, given what just happened against the Steelers, who can throw the ball downfield accurately, which is more like what we saw from Anthony Brown during the preseason. He threw some nice dimes in that in the preseason down the field. And, and I think that, you know, it, we're not seeing obviously what the Ravens are already seeing in practice. They probably already know that that Brown isn't the guy, and that's that may be part of the decision making process in terms of Huntley. But on the other hand, this is an opportunity to kind of do it for free and under the guise of uh, or not guise of having Huntley available for the playoffs. Also, in a good opportunity to get a job on Kolar, some meaningful snaps. Yeah, and I, I think the other the other thing is that. Even if you win the game, there is a good chance that the team you'd be facing in mm-hmm. in the wildcard round would be Cincinnati. Um, so if you win the game and Cincinnati lose to Buffalo, uh, I think knowing the permutations, it's Cincinnati. The Chargers would still overhaul Cincinnati and Cincinnati would be the sixth seed. And so they're then coming into Baltimore and you have gone with, to, to be able to beat Cincinnati, you have empty probably emptied the the playbook you know you have shown them a lot of the things that you would that that you that you potentially were saving to be able to beat them twice um in the regular season it would it, i think it would be a far better outcome to save up the things that you could potentially use against them in the playoffs because it just looks like there is a real chance it looks like it's inescapable for the ravens to be playing the bengals um in the playoffs at this point well, one one thing that would be nice if they've got Huntley, they probably want bad weather because the game is going to be the defense and, and even bad weather is hard to root for because Justin Tucker is dependent on good weather. Okay, you don't want to have a lot of wind to take away your Tucker advantage, but on the other hand, you do want a, you know a high wind. Uh, if something is going to make Burrow less effective with his you know just modest arm strength that he has to take away some of their advantages. Um, I think would be a huge deal. It's, it'd be the way, and those are the two places I think that, that Baltimore has a reasonable chance to win. Well, Kansas City, I guess they have a chance also in terms of that can be a place that gets cold and snowy, but much better chance in Buffalo for, for my way of thinking, even though Bills are, are to my mind, a better team, um, maybe than, any, than the either two. I think that the chance of Buffalo weather negating who um, Josh Allen is in the playoffs is a bigger deal for them than it is. However, Huntley might be downgraded <laughs> in terms of his play with uh, uh, by, by Buffalo weather. So better chance for it to be a run game anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. 
I'll give you one other thing that that I think it could be a key consideration. It's honestly a key consideration for the entire NFL. Um, if they do decide that game, the game will be replayed for purposes of the number one seed, for purposes of the whatever, for whatever purposes they decide are appropriate. It effectively gives the Ravens a bye week in week 19, and the Bengals will play in week 19. That is a much better situation to play them in the playoffs. So I, I, I want to point out here that um, I'm okay with whatever the NFL decides on this. I think the, ch- the Ravens' chance is actually pretty minimal no matter what, but that's not even the biggest concern. It's that they, they need to make the league right after a tragedy appropriately. And, and whatever it takes to get back to the right point, even if it means some sacrifices, there's always going to be winners and losers when something disrupts the season as, as has already happened. So don't worry too much about the Ravens being a winner or a loser in this case, because their chance is pretty small, but, but also because it's the right thing to not be too worried about whether the Ravens are, are winners or losers. But I do think in terms of, of how the Ravens approach week 18, uh, you know, if there's a way that the Ravens can can uh, uh, can get back to the playoffs, coming off a bye week of theirs, Cincinnati playing the previous week, and the extra week possibly that would help Lamar Jackson get back, I got to think that's pretty significant. Yeah, I think so too. I think it would be significant, but I'm I am in complete agreement with you. I think the the chances are pretty small, and so I'm not sure there's a there's a huge amount of upside here for the for the Ravens, and and certainly the right way to be a person is not to uh, is not to think about it too much. Right. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, we talked a little bit about Edwards already. I guess the biggest issue I have with this is that there's now a blueprint that Pittsburgh has shown other teams. Now, one thing we've, we've seen is teams don't always pick up on the other team's blueprint to do it. They don't really consider themselves as having the same strengths and weaknesses. They don't consider themselves as having the same personnel options in a lot of ways. So if we go back to that 2018 Chargers playoff game, we saw a very different approach to trying to stop Lamar Jackson. It was a lot of seven defensive back formations from the Chargers. Yeah, I think there have been several blueprints over the, over the <laughs> years. Um, I think this one, this one has been out there for a while. Like I think, I, if I remember rightly, Detroit uh, last season had a had an interesting um, front that they used, and I'm pretty sure it was reasonably similar. I don't think it was six man fronts, but I think it was at least five most of the time. So th- they had an interesting approach. I, I think this is definitely a. Like this is a, a potential way of stopping the Ravens. Certainly, it is a way of stopping the Ravens when Tyler Huntley plays. Um, in this version of Tyler Huntley, like I, I don't want to suggest that Huntley's never going to develop. He he may well do, um, as he goes through his NFL career and he's had some success. But at this juncture, it is a way to stop the Tyler Huntley-led Ravens, uh, or at least a, a way to to really put them in a bind. I'm not sure it's a way to stop a Lamar Jackson-led Ravens mm-hmm. team. Uh, in 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 some potential playoff game, I, th- I think it's a to to play this way against Lamar Jackson is a much bigger gamble for a defense. Oh yeah, and th- they have to, you know, with all of these types of all of these offenses, all of these ca- these kinds of playmakers that that lead the AFC, you are picking your poison. You're making your bets as about which which thing to let them do. Um, and I think if you do this, I think if you focus too much on the Ravens running game when Lamar Jackson is playing quarterback, then it's a different story. Um, and so I think this, this was a specific game plan for this game to beat the Huntley led Ravens um, from the Steelers. I also think the other thing that this was, 
there were a number of things as well within this Steelers scheme that were really important. The, the way Cam Hayward is a difference maker on the defensive line, having him opposite TJ Watt and TJ Watt's ability to come from the backside, that was really key. Having Spillane, who I think is a really good run-stuffing linebacker, there were a number of things that made this work. I'm not sure you can necessarily create the special source. We create the special source the Steelers had for this particular game. Um, by some other teams. You know, here, here's one of the funny things. I actually, I, I would question you on whether or not the special sauce can be similarly created. I think most teams have some slower thumping linebackers who can do what Spillane and Robinson did. I mean, you know, Josh Bynes and Harrison could be two guys on the, on the Ravens if we didn't have Roquan and Queen, say. You know, if you go back to the 2019 Ravens, Bynes and Fort could handle a lot of those responsibilities probably. Most teams carry enough defensive linemen on the on the team to have them available, and, and they have the four guys in the middle you can put in. And frankly, the Pittsburgh four guys are not particularly impressive as a group. Hayward's, Hayward's not having the greatest year, but the other three are, are not very good at all. And you know that comes up in my offensive line adjustments is, you know how much do I do this? So it's really, Hayward did not even line up over um, Linderbaum very often in this game. It was mostly... Montavious Adams or whoever the, the number 57 and 99 were the two guys who kept showing up in the notes as beating Linderbaum. Uh, that's a much more damning criticism of what happened in this game than, than, you know, having the star players and, and, and both edges. And, and obviously Watt had a big game. Highsmith really didn't. And Hayward, you know, was okay, but he wasn't, he wasn't dominant in this game. He was just playing a role within this, within this defense. I, it's just, I think there are a lot of teams who can put this out there. I think that your other point is though, is right on the money is that if it's Lamar Jackson, he takes some bump pressure, he moves around as needed. He completes all kinds of play action passes. Um, you, 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 you have a lot of problems trying to stop Lamar Jackson through the air if you give him this opportunity. And also, Lamar Jackson, if he pierces the line of scrimmage against you, is going to make you pay. Lamar Huntley, if he gets into level two, is going to run into a linebacker directly. Yeah, I think I I, I was I was pinning my two points together, I think, so that to say that I'm not sure you could um create the special source against yeah. Lamar Jackson. I think I think um I would I would disagree a little bit on on Hayward, who I think's had a good season um, from what I've seen. Um, I've watched a couple of their games now, uh, all twenty two, and I thought he's been pretty good. And I thought he was pretty good at playing his role in this in this game. Mm-hmm. I, I think the reason he wasn't standout good was because the Ravens were tr- were were trying to avoid him um, with the way that they were running the football uh, and and. At times succeeding, also at times not succeeding. I would completely agree with you that some of the other guys on this line are not necessarily the best. Montrevious Adams certainly has has had a has had a tough year, um, and Ogan Joby's never been a particularly great run defender. So I think yes, otherwise yeah, I'm sure teams could could recreate this. But I think there is a unique threat that comes with Haywood and Watt that is that is a that is a difficulty to to, to replicate. That, that's fair enough, and uh, uh, you know, obviously, the, the the Steelers are are backed off with not having Stephon Tuitt on, on their team anymore after after his retirement. So, uh, they they're I, I'm I guess I'm more concerned with who they have on the edge with Highsmith and Watt and how the Ravens had to adjust to that than I really am about the sum of the parts of their offensive line. But you're making the point that having Hayward and Watt creates some games you can play. I, I would agree under normal circumstances, if you're if you're lining up man on man like they are, 
not sure that it comes out to be as many of those opportunities. I think you already have a big advantage in numbers at the line of scrimmage and their, their, their ability to help each other might be less under those circumstances as counterintuitive as that might seem. No, that makes sense. Uh, let's see what else we have. I mean, the, the Ravens obviously uh, could not grind out any first downs on offense went from when you started at Q3 931 when the Ravens got the sorry when Pittsburgh got the ball after the Ravens scored their last points on the field goal to start the second half boy things look good then up by 10 and the uh uh each team had four drives through Huntley's game ceiling interception and the the Steelers out snapped the Ravens 41 to 15 during that period uh only two first downs for the Ravens on those four drives and that really was what cost them the game. They if, they really needed were about two first downs away from winning this game, among those four drives. Yeah, and I, that was for me was the most interesting part of this game because it was sort of a it was a, a representation of the failures of this offense over the course of the season. Um, you know, the forty yard the the one the the drive where they started at the forty yard line because of Justice Hill's return was obviously a big killer. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting to see some of the stuff they did there. So in the second half, in the first half, they'd left TJ Watt. They they had tried to to uh, block TJ Watt with um, with Ricard on kickouts. The second half, they started to do some different things. They started to sort of distract him a bit with with Oliver and Andrews either going out. He 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 seemed to have some responsibilities in the flat at times, and so they would sort of distract him with a tight end do some different things that wasn't just a general kick out block that what sort of, or well, he was blocked at times when he was kicked out, but he was also getting underneath it a lot of the time. So they tried some different stuff and it started to work on that, on that drive. They left him unblocked on the, on first down, uh, which was just, I just blew my mind that they left him mm-hmm. unblocked. Um, he, he, you know, even when he, even when the Ravens were throwing a kickout defender at him from the backside, he was getting home on the running back. So to leave him unblocked was a very strange decision. I felt so really felt like a play, a bit of a play caller issue. And then you get on. Oh, sorry, I'll let you come back on. Like no, no, I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, they did some really wonderful things in the first half when they had big runs with Dobbins of getting Watt on the ground or lunging back into the play. So what for all his athleticism and quickness, um, he does try and run. He does sometimes run himself out of a run play. Not not always, but the, but they they did some good jobs of trying to use that tendency against him. I thought in the first half to get Dobbins free a couple of times. Yeah, I, I agree. There was definitely times when they were able to get him out of the out of the game in the first half. I thought they did it more smartly in the second half because they they did that. They did the stuff they were doing in the first half and added some other wrinkles in. Um, but I also felt like leaving him unblocked on on the first down run in a critical situation like that was was a, a gamble too far, really. And then and then on the second down, you see you see the issue with that we see so often with Huntley, which I'm sure we'll get into, which is. He he makes he has his first read with Watkins. He comes off Watkins, and actually Oliver is going to come out is is going to come open behind the linebacker. It was a it was a really good play call. Uh, if he'd have thrown it with anticipation and timing, it would it was it was it was a it was a first down. Um, and and he I thought it was a great design and a really good play call from from um, from Roman at the time because they still had the six man front out that at that point. Uh, and he, you know he just did, he didn't pull the trigger. He just didn't pull the trigger. He he hesitated uh, and then got into a bunch of trouble. And then on third down, I, I felt like it was pretty good situational football to to try and get it to Isaiah Likely. Yes. Uh, 
but <laughs> just to, to get enough yards to get Tucker in field goal range, knowing that the, the Steelers were going to be sat on that first down marker, but Huntley, uh, but um, like likely he doesn't catch, drops yep. the ball. So it's like a constant, uh, like it shows all of the issues that the backup quarterback issues, the fact that there just aren't enough weapons, trust, trustable off uh, weapons in this offense now um, on the outside and the play caller issue on first down. I just feel like it was just a, it was a representation of all the issues that the Ravens offense has had. That's a, that's a, that's a really valid point that, that, that there was just a, there was a host of problems. It was, it's easy to blame this game on Huntley in a lot of ways, or the fact that the, the, the I, th- I think the important thing to do out of this game is to look at it and say, we're not blaming ourselves exclusively for this game that, you know, I, I, I made the point in, in the pod yesterday. I'll make it again. I played pool in leagues for about 15 years. And, and the, the big thing you always get with macho guys talking about why they lost is, you know, you, you played okay, but, but it was really, I played like crap. That's why you won kind of thing. It's always about, you know, the, the person is always somehow feels better about the fact that they lost because they missed a couple of shots <laughs> as opposed to that, that you were just much better, you know, this, this day. So I, I'm, I, I, I kind of, feel like a lot of Ravens fans would like to blame it on Roman, on the Ravens players, on other coaches, on scheme, on everything. But but they don't really look at it and say, well, you know, the, the Steelers really out-schemed us in this game. And they're willing to say they, out, they out-coached them. And, and not only that, but the Steelers outplayed us and out-physicaled us in this game. And that was why, you know, we, we ended up getting beat. I think it's a there, – there are a lot of little things. But I think this was more about the Steelers being good than the Ravens with their highly suboptimal – offensive unit being bad yeah i, I completely agree ken I, th- I think that's you know there, it's the, it's a great point from from the from that from that series specifically you know the the play on likely you know it was a, it was a, <laughs> he could he have been stronger at the catch point yes he could but it was it was really good timing from the defensive back to break it up uh, and but also the the scheme as you mentioned like i just i do think it was uh yeah, it was a difficult thing to play against. It, the other thing that people don't, uh, I think, don't realize is is the way that the running game works. <laughs> you, you, if you if you are thrown a front that you're not used to seeing, it changes all of the assignments that you, that you have, and it really does change the way that the running game works. And it's not, you know, it's going to take some time to adjust to that. And the Steelers threw threw something at them that they haven't seen for for a while. Well, certainly haven't seen uh, this season. Uh, and it just, it just, it, that offensive line wasn't able to, to, to adjust quickly enough. I don't think. Yeah. I, I'd have to look back, but I think there have been relatively few times during the Lamar era where they have seen this. And and that includes times when they were leading in a game and they've had a lot of leads they've defended during the Lamar era. Let's face it. Uh, even, even with Huntley in there, obviously they've had some this year. And uh, that's the time where you might face this kind of a front. When, when the other team knows you have to run. And and so far, even during recent weeks, they've run the ball and they put games away when the other team knew, knew the run was coming. Just nobody just extremified their package, you know, deployment to the degree that, that, that Pittsburgh did in this game. And I think that's that, it, you know, they have to get a lot of the credit for doing that properly. Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump ahead here. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Tyler Huntley um, it, this is a problem that Collinsworth noted is that he's frequently a one read quarterback. It's, it's definitely, there's some truth to it. Um, it almost, to me, it seems like what I see is he almost has to roll out to go to his second read. It's like I, one read is always comfortable staying in the pocket for, so he can run or he can roll out. If he rolls out, he can make another read or an emergency read, and then he can try and run again. But it's very, it, it, he's just not a common 
two-way look in the pocket. No, I, I would also add that I think he's he he has shown up at this through this point in the season a little bit of a tendency to 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 be hesitant uh, when he when his first, but even when he isn't just a first one read QB, he is as in by design. He is struggling when he gets when he he is playing with hesit- with hesitancy when he gets to his second read. Mm-hmm. He's just not uh, he's not being very decisive. I think his feet his feet aren't quiet. They're very busy at times when when he's when he's even when he's not really facing pressure. There were times in this game where he didn't really trust his protection. Ben Powers um, had a couple of snaps where Hayward won initially um, over the first couple of steps. But Powers does what he does, where he sort of looks like he's struggling a bit, and then re-anchors and resets his resets his hands and gets into a situation where he's fine. And he and he wins the rep, and he did that a couple of times in this game against Hayward. And Huntley just didn't trust it. He didn't trust. It. There was one point in particular where he be- where he bails out to the right hand side. Yep. Um. When when I think Powers probably was going to have Hayward beat. Uh. So it, it's a it's a tough one. He he's. He is what he is at this point. Like I've read lots of stuff and heard lots of Ravens fans talking about the fact that, you know, you know, this is great. When he first stepped in in that first game for Lamar and immediately sort of ran the offense with efficiency, there was, you know, oh, maybe we can do this. Maybe Huntley can be the guy to do this. He's not, he's a backup quarterback at this point in his career. Uh, there have been signs that he's going to be able to develop into a, into a sort of competent backup backup quarterback, but I don't I don't think he's any more than that. And I think we we saw in this game that that's the case. He can operate to an extent efficiently, but then when he's asked to do a little bit more um, and asked to move to those second and third reads, and when he's asked to throw the ball down the field a bit more, he's struggling a bit more. We know he can throw the ball down the field. We saw him do it last season, um, but it's it's just it's deserted him a little bit this year. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I want to talk a little bit, maybe uh, based on that comment about the ample time and space uh, metrics for this game, because they were not bad. The Ravens' offensive line did a pretty good job. Now the Ravens had one spike, they had one sack, and they had twenty-one passes. So they had twenty-one dropbacks that resulted in a pass or sack. Nine of them were ample time and space. That's forty-three percent. That's a high total. Now he completed eight of those nine throws for eighty-six yards. It did include the interception at the end of the game. It also included the touchdown at the end of the half and 9.6 yards per play. That's the best Huntley has done with ample time and space so far since he's, since he's been in this year, which is, which is, it's good to see him, you know, basically do well when given a good pocket. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The, the only, the only caveat, and it'd be interesting to see how many times that was facing the six man front, because uh, the only caveat with that was if he was facing the six man front, he had much less traffic out there um, in the defensive backfield to be able to, to be able to read. So I would expect him against that front to be, if he is getting ample time and space to be doing a, to be doing a good job, I think. We'll get to that in a minute, and you may mean different things by the six-man front, but they only rushed six three times in the game. So I'll uh, I'll get back to that in just a minute. Ball out quick, the second category. Uh, Five plays, 28 yards, 5.6 yards per play. Uh, Completed four out of five. He had the one pass for minus six that was very unfortunate, uh, was, was in that group. Um, but, but, you know, that's not a, that's not a particularly good or particularly bad thing. It's only five throws. I don't make a lot out of that when pressured. Here's where Huntley had been better in some of the past games, but he was, he was pressured seven times during the game. By the way, they have Watt and Highsmith and they only pressure you a third of the time. That's pretty good. 
that is really pretty good by the Ravens offensive line in terms of what they provided. And some of the scores in, in particular for uh, Stanley, I, I'd say, I think are, are a, a little bit elevated uh, because of what was accomplished there. Anyway, only only six yards on those seven plays, uh, 0.9 yards per play. That included the one sack they had. So, uh, you know, a mix of things. But but for once, Huntley does not have an inverted game or anything close to it. He has more like what you normally see in terms of a pattern from players that they get their best quarterbacks, that they get their best results when they actually get ample time and space. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the numbers. So the Steelers used uh, 10 times. They brought a four-man rush. They really mixed it up in this game. Uh, Huntley threw for 6.8 yards per play on those. One interception, one touchdown. Uh, they ran, rushed five, another eight times, 40 yards on those plays. So 5.0 per play. And then they rushed six, three times, 12 yards on those three plays. Include the sack minus 10 for for uh, four yards per play. Um there's nothing inherently that should make you more impressive about four or five or six man rush. They all represent various levels of gambling and giving something else away. What would have been your expectation coming into this? It sounded like you you would have expected with a six man front that he would have had more success throwing into an empty level two. Yeah. I, th- I think the, the only, as I was saying it before, the only caveat I think was, I remember when he did, I think I remember when he did face those, or, or lo- even looked like he was going to face those those the those heavier um, uh, rushes. He the Ravens did respond with very little out there with with two man route combinations, mm-hmm. um, and so he was struggling. If if the Steelers found a way to cover Andrews, then then you've got a you've got a problem right. um, uh, because there you know there aren't many other receivers on this on this offense getting open against man coverage. Right. Well, they they had Jackson in there some, I guess. So they're, they're trying to make that work and, and Watkins as well. But you're right on the money. There were 11 set chip blockers and nine chip blockers in this game on just 21 pass plays. That's a lot per play of your eligible receivers who are either giving up entirely as set blockers or disadvantaging significantly as chip blockers. Now, in, in a game like this where, uh, you know, the inside linebacker, the inside linebacker is still probably going to be a coverage player. You probably don't get the kind of gain um, from your chip blockers that you might get otherwise. If those players are are on it and they watch chip blocker, much easier for a linebacker to cover somebody coming off a chip. Yeah, and it, it just in this game, it just it didn't it. Yeah, they they were, yeah, they were str- they were really struggling with their when they were sending when they were when they when there was the appearance of potentially more more than four uh or or that there were more than four they were really struggling to get um get guys out into into routes into into space that was that was um that was working i think i think the other thing for me was there was a real difficulty with I, I think they had some interesting concepts going on in this game. There was some, I felt some quite confused passing, not confused, but they were hedging their bets a little bit in terms of the passing concepts they were running. There were quite a few mesh concepts, which are man beaters, but then there was, those were paired with um, zone beaters on the other side. And it was sort of a, you know, hedging your bets a little bit, knowing that the Steelers run quite a lot of zone coverage and quite a lot of underneath zone coverage, it was interesting to see them do that. And uh, I, I felt like they were limiting the options for Huntley, probably probably out of necessity um, because of the the way that Huntley is as a, as a QB, but it felt like they were limiting some of his options at times. Uh, and that was a bit frustrating too. All right. 
All right, well, let's uh, let's move on from Tyler because we I think we've kind of beat on him a lot in some way. Talk a little bit about the scheme in terms of what they did with the running backs. We talked about Edwards only getting nine snaps, but they had 26 out of Dobbins. And interestingly, Dobbins carried or received the ball on 17 out of 26 snaps. In fact, I think those were all carries. I, I 17 for 93, right? So I, uh, he's a designated runner when he's in the game. Where Edwards only only carried on three of nine ent- uh, uh, snaps, and Hill. This is really bad on zero of 17. And he was someone I thought really could have helped the Ravens in this game. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to see that. Um, I, I, I thought it was low. I didn't think it was not out of 17. Um, but that's also, you know, r- really bad from a tendency perspective as well. And something that the, the Steelers would be able to key on pretty well. Yeah, so I think they were, they were bringing Hill to be more of a pass blocker and maybe a pass threat on third down. But uh, you know, again, that would require a, a, a second read situation from from Huntley as a uh, as a quarterback or a, or a check down option. I, I do think Huntley is a little bit like Lamar in terms of he's his own check down option as opposed to looking for um, a back. And, and it may be a question of where the Ravens are really scheming these players to be, whether they're trying to you know, take an inside linebacker out to the flat to give Humphrey room to give Huntley room in the middle of the field to run. Uh, you know, that might even be part of of what the Ravens are really trying to accomplish. I'd really have to look at each of Hill's routes to do that. And uh, that's a, uh, it's a it's a project, not not a terrible project, but it's a project. No, and I think if I remember rightly, there were a couple of times when I felt like Huntley could have targeted him on a couple of routes. There was one in particular I remember, um, but he he went in in a, in a different direction. So it was it was def. I think you're right. There was there was there was kind of little um, attention to him as a as a check down. Uh, they just didn't seem to look his way. Still a very counter heavy offense in this game. So the Ravens definitely. Even though they were they were playing a heavily armored foe, they were trying to pierce that armor with the best way they could at the point of attack with uh, with with two man pulls. And if one particularly frustrating uh, play early on, it was one of Edwards' carries. There was several guys in the backfield, and it was on the on the pull side. And it's, it's like, how did all these bodies get in the backfield all of a sudden? Then you, you break it down and you see who who kind of missed their blocks. But at the stadium, it really looked like Edwards ran the wrong way on that play. And it was a it was a short yardage play where I believe he ended up getting zero yards and it might have been on third and one. Yeah, I don't remember the specific play. Okay. All right. I well, it's not too hard to find Edwards carries if we want to go back and look <laughs> at that, I guess. Um 2.5 heavies per play, still well above the 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 season average, which is in the 2.3s, but lower than the 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 historic 2.83 of last week. Um formationally, this Ravens team. Uh, you know, it, it, it's 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 interesting that they did it this way. I, I guess I come out with one more question on this. They went heavy, obviously, against the Steelers. Could one of the possible responses have been to put Cleveland in the game as a sixth offensive lineman for some of this? Now, obviously, the Steelers are going to go heavy. You can you can you can say, okay, I pass. Okay, I run. Despite that, or you can say, okay, I raise with Ben Cleveland, who is a guy who had tremendous success in run push specifically in that first game. Didn't play particularly well overall. He, he didn't look particularly good as a pass blocker in that game, but but he had terrific run push. And I just wondered if they could have somehow gotten him in there, maybe even tucked him on the right side with Moses on the edge, if they could have gotten some additional push out of that and played a six-man line. 
Possibly, yeah. I guess it's whether they had, uh, you know, this 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 approach probably took them by surprise a little, and yes. and perhaps weren't weren't prepared, ready to to have those kind of packages in. I don't I don't re- recall them running as much um, six man O line over the course of this season as yeah, I no, they as have. I feel like they've done the last couple of years before this. Or, yeah. or a few years back. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if you go back to the really extreme six-man lines, the, the 08 team in particular ran a ton of it, and they were trying to hide Willie Anderson, who had a really good year, but they were trying to hide him by tucking him and running unbalanced line a lot and then running a fair amount of six-man line. In fact, they got that at the goal line. They put in a seventh offensive lineman, Haloti Nada. On a, on a lot of plays to, to get in there. So a, a lot of teams in the past have done it a lot more. They've had, I would say less than 10 six-man lines for this entire season. But I have to really look back on it to to confirm that number. They did have one in this game with McCarrion. Yeah, I think I, th- I think you're right. It probably could have been something that 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 may have been you know may have been something to try a little more, but perhaps not too much because they may not just may not have it prepared. And and at halftime they were in fairly much control of the game. I, I mean, as much as you can say they have control of the game at ten to three, but they had the lead. They they seem to be moving the ball fairly effectively. So if if they might have had a chance to you know, change things, have a four minute meeting at halftime, which is about all you get. It's 12 minutes total. You have to get in and out of the clubhouse, of course, to say, Hey, we're going to six offensive linemen. We're going to take tight ends out on some plays. You're going to be in this package package. Alpha now is going to include Cleveland. And you know, you're, you're, you're going to be, that's, that's a, that's a big ask to, to do that on the fly. All right, James, it's always so much to talk fun to talk football with you, and I always let us run long. I apologize for doing that again, my friend, but tell folks where they can find your work online, where they can talk to you. No problem, Ken. You very kindly do do your recording a little bit earlier for me uh, over here in the UK. So uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter. Um, my my handle is at NFL Ogden on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Russell Street Report writing their weekly battle plans article and um, previewing the, the, the games. And uh, this year you'll again be able to find my work um in my uh, on my website on uh, redstarbaltimore.com where i will be posting my draft guide again once we get close to the uh, the end of march and april with a few collaborators this year which would be nice might get oh. some more some more uh, <laughs> get some more evaluations this year that 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 sounds like fun but we're really looking forward to that uh, uh james that sounds like a good product um uh, other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short hit me up with a dm they're always open on twitter love to hear from you if you have a friend who doesn't know about the podcast please introduce them to it and take them over to their their computer and show them how to actually play the podcast off the website uh, a lot of people just don't know podcasts and they can't be bothered to get into them but they can be bothered to play a podcast when they're at work because you know that time is less valuable to them somehow <laughs> and they and they are uh, they're willing to do that and they have my permission listen to it there it's fine uh so anyway i'll uh, i'll be back for part two with uh with james uh and hope you'll look for that a little later today james thanks again for coming on no problem and we'll talk to you next time on film study
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.